All right, good morning. It is good to see everybody again today, and once again, happy Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> yes, it is so good to uh, celebrate our risen King, who is alive and well, and is breathing life into people all around the world today. I mean, I love thinking about it on Easter Sunday, how literally in every time zone around the world, around the clock, worship is going up to God, worshiping him, and giving honor for his life, his miracles, his death, burial, and resurrection. We had some friends um, who were missionaries over in France, actually, last night, giving us a text message, happy Resurrection Sunday. And I was like, bro, you're a little bit, oh, not for you, <laughs> you know, because worship is going on to the living God all around the world today, and so we're so glad to celebrate with you. So for those of you that I don't know, um, I'm uh, Roland, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm going to be delivering the word today. And today what we're doing is we are finishing our uh, series, which has been going through the gospel, the good news according to Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke, and we're finishing today with the resurrection. And so I hope you've been able to um, enjoy it as we've been methodically going through the words and the actions and also the the reactions that people have had to Jesus um, during his earthly ministry. And today, what better way to culminate it than to uh, really celebrate his resurrection. So today I'm going to um, commend to you two books, okay? In, in, in addition to the Bible itself, we try to give you resources that will help you as a believer to strengthen your faith. And if you are somebody who's still searching things out and trying to understand what reasons we have to believe, there are reasons that help you to believe as you're considering the claims of Christ. And so we're going to talk about the familiar story of Jesus' resurrection, um, but I'm going to be making reference to two books. One is actually by a man who's named N.T. Wright. How many people have heard of N.T. Wright before? Okay. Um, a great theologian. Okay. He was one of the archbishops of the um, um, Anglican church, and so he actually wrote a book um, that was actually called uh, Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense, um, but he also um, wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And so if you are a Christian, it helps you to open your eyes in a brand new way to re not reinterpret, but to reimagine what the implications of the resurrection are for you today. And for those of us who are trying to ground our faith in in the reality of the historic Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection from the dead, there is also a biblical New Testament scholar named Gary Habermas. Gary Habermas, who wrote The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I commend those two books to you. We'll make reference um, to them today, but just wanted to give you a good reading list. So today our focus is this, that the risen Christ can change your life by bringing dead things to life. How about that? Okay, the risen Christ can change your life by bringing dead things to life. And it doesn't matter where you find yourself today, if you find yourself steeped in sin, if you find yourself shackled and not knowing where to go, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, listen, I want to change my life, I just don't know how. The good news is that there is a risen Christ who through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead can bring the dead things in you to life. And I'll also say that if you are a Christian today who's been struggling with dead things, right, whether it be dead 
religion, dead relationships, dead um, 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 self um, sense of purpose in life. The good news is that the power of the resurrection also brings new life to you today. And so we're going to talk about uh, the meaning that God brings to us because of his resurrection in three parts today. We're going to talk about, obviously, the empty tomb. We're going to talk about the fact that he is risen. And then we're going to talk about the fact that because he's risen, he's commissioned us. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us that we might worship you, that we might honor you, that we might celebrate all that you are and all that you have already done. God, we don't take it for granted today, but we rejoice in you today. God, what thing do we have on earth except you? And God, we're asking that you would show us the joy of our salvation today as we reflect on the resurrection of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's talk about being empty. First of all, we need to understand that without Christ, the world can seem like an empty and meaningless place. Without Christ, the world can seem like an empty and meaningless place. How many people would agree with that? Okay, it's sort of like we go through the motions, we go through all of the rigmarole of life, and for both Christians and non-Christians alike, without the resurrection of Christ, I love the book of Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes tells it like it is. Meaningless, meaningless. It all seems meaningless unless there is a king that we're going to stand before one day and give an account for our lives. Amen? And so with that in mind, let's open to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start by reading about this resurrection. It says, but on the first day of the week, verse 1, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And I think that's a question for everybody, right? Why are you going to all types of different substitutes for the one who breathes life, gives life to the world? Why are you looking for life among dead things? And he says, ultimately, he is not here, but has risen. At that tomb, he was no longer there, but according to his word and promise, had risen from the dead. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary of the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. Interesting, right? Interesting, the very people who had walked with Jesus, seen his miracles, right? See him drive out demons, seen all the promises he had made. When it push came to shove and the rubber met the road, they were like, ah, maybe. <laughs> and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling at what had happened. And so today, because we're familiar with the story, all we can do over and over again is testify. Testify to the fact that this is not just a good philosophy. This is not just moral teaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ is literally a report. 
And it is a report of good news that according to his word, according to the prophecies, over 300 prophecies over the course of thousands of years from people in different socioeconomic, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from people in different stations and conditions in life, people in times of war and times of peace, people who all of a sudden were in times of exile and in their homeland of Israel waiting for the Messiah to come. Over the years, over 300 prophecies were predicting the coming of this Messiah who would live sinlessly, die sacrificially, and be raised from the dead three days later victoriously to actually save your soul and to save my soul. And all they're doing in the gospel is they're reporting it occurred. It happened. And when we are here today celebrating the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, your life is a living epistle, right? Your life is a letter being written by the Spirit of God proclaiming to the world as he changes you that he is in fact risen from the dead. And in the same way that they were able to see a risen tomb, he can see, people can look at your life and see, wait a minute, they were once in death, but I see them walking into life. I see them changing. I see them formerly bound. I see them formerly depressed. I see them formerly without meaning and purpose in the world. But now I see evidence of the resurrected Christ today. And it actually bring, um, cuts against the words of famous laureate and poet Henry David Thoreau. In Civil Disobedience, he actually, in other essays, he wrote, The mass of men leads lives of quiet desperation. How many have heard this before? The mass of men leads lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is really confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats. A stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. People try to escape into their amusements. There is no play in them, for this comes after work but it is characteristic of wisdom not to do desperate things, not to live in a desperate way, not to give yourself wholly to things that are ultimately going to pass away and are going to be meaningless. This is what he was talking about. Life has more for you than a quiet desperation. Life has more for you than just survival. God has more for you because he brings dead things to life. And this is why N.T. Wright, Wright actually said in his book, Simply Christian, made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle simply for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied simply with sentiment. But new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That quite simply is what it means to be Christian, to follow Jesus Christ into the new world, God's new world, which he has thrown open before us. And how has he done it? He's done it by his resurrection from the dead. And I'm asking you to think about your testimony. If you find yourself a Christian today, have you come out of the graves in which you found yourself previously? 
I mean, we feel it, we live under it, we walk in it day by day, but we think to ourselves, that's all that there can be, the emptiness of life. But whenever we come to Resurrection Sunday, what we're seeing is that because of Jesus' work on the cross, there can be a better end to our story. Regardless of where you find yourself today, there is a living hope, a living hope that God is calling you to in the person of Jesus, and he's giving meaning to each of your days. And we see that because, of course, Jesus is risen from the dead. And Christ's resurrection from the dead is the miracle that saves us not only from our sins, but also nihilism and death. Nihilism and death, feeling like there's no sense of meaning in the world. I have no purpose. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to, including my own self, who've had trouble at times getting out of bed in the morning. Anybody else been there? Because you're like, what is all this for? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my life? I'm doing the same thing over and over again, and by faith, I'm believing something's going to change. And sometimes it is hard to live by faith. Is it not? It is hard to live by faith. That's exactly why the Bible calls it a fight of faith. Whenever the Apostle Paul, going to the end of his days, would actually be looking forward to meeting Jesus face to face at his own martyrdom, he said, listen, this is a fight of faith, but I'm looking forward to the reward of him who purchased me, who died for me, who bled for me, and is holding for me the reward that gives meaning to all that I've done in him. And we see that in continuing to read about the resurrection. It said that very day, verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Two of them were going to a village of, uh, named Emmaus. They were disciples about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus withdrew, I'm sorry, drew near and went with them. Jesus drew near and went with them. And isn't that good news? That in between us hearing this good news of the gospel, that things can be different, that we can have life in the midst of the death that surrounds us, Jesus doesn't stand at a distance, but he draws near. Even when we don't recognize him, as we'll see here. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Now, these are people who, as we'll see in this scripture, they were people who were following Jesus. They were people who were familiar with Jesus' works, but they were still looking sad because he had just been crucified. He'd just been crucified and buried. This is the third day now. They're unaware of all the implications of his promises that he's actually resurrected from the dead. Have you been in that place before is my question to you. They asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? What things? Obviously, he knew what happened. It happened to him. <laughs> okay. But he's like, what things? What things are making you so sad? Anything got you down in the world because you watch a little bit too much CNN? You watch a little bit too much MSNBC, you watch a little bit too much Fox News, you watch a little bit too much, right? YouTube, whatever. What things are making you sad? What things are going on? They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who has, was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping, but we don't see Jesus now. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had see, even seen a vision of angels. <laughs> who said that he was alive? Right. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And I love this. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones. Don't you love that? Anybody ever felt like the Spirit of God was saying that to you before? <laughs> I was like, I have. <laughs> oh, little Rollin. Little bald Rollin. <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How quickly in our life circumstances are we slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? And we could say all day long what we think we believe, right? We could say all day long what our theology is, but we know what we really believe by how we live. Isn't that the truth? We show what we really believe by how we live. And he says, listen, man. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then what does he do? He goes right back to the word of God, which is why it's important that we read this Bible every day. Can I say it one more time? This is why it's important that we read this Bible every day. I love Sunday, but let me tell you, if this is the only time you're hearing the word of God, you're going to be starving. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And I love this. He acted as if he were going further. He didn't even tell them it was him yet. He was like, all right, cool. You guys got, got it? You good? All right, I'm out. <laughs> and Jesus was going further. Understand these dynamics in your relationship with God, right? If you've ever felt like you needed a little bit more of God, what are you supposed to do? You've had the scriptures open to you, but it seems like God's just passing you by. Please don't pass me by, right? They were like, listen, this dude who just opened the scriptures to us is getting ready to go a little further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. Wait a minute, I see that something could be different in my life. I see that there's a little hope for my life other than what I've been experiencing. So stay with me. Stay with me now. They urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And how often is God right there with us, right there with you in your circumstance, right there with you in your pain, right there with you in your despair, right there with you in your disillusionment, but you didn't realize what was him. But when the word of God is broken, open to you, and then you begin to cry out to God, saying, God, I need a little bit more. 
how good our God is to give more of himself and show us who he is. To draw near and touch us. To draw near and actually commune with us. You see, that's what Jesus was doing. He didn't leave us just to the scriptures itself, but he said, I'm coming home to eat with you. I'm coming home to have fellowship with you. And that's the point of the risen Christ. Is it not? Not that you just believe in him, but that you get to have a living, dynamic fellowship with him. Today, by the word of God, yes, but also by the person and power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then he told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We're going to celebrate communion even today. And again, every time we celebrate communion, the sacrament of communion, recognizing and remembering the broken body of Jesus, the spilled blood of Jesus for our sins. What we have open to us again is the reality of who he is and what he's done for us. And that fellowship can be restored. That fellowship can be restored. Now, for you who are uh, Christian and those of you who've grown up in the church, a lot of times you uh, might say to yourself, well, what evidence did he give that he was actually resurrected from the dead? Let me tell you, I'll just go through this very quickly, that um, the historian Gary Habermas, who I uh, referred to previously, he gave some common sense ideas of why we can actually know with confidence that this Jesus who we're crying out to, this Jesus who we're believing can raise dead things to life, is actually alive and well today. He said at least five things. He says historians employ a number of common sense principles in assessing the strength of any testimony, right? Because literally your hope in Jesus begins in your confidence in somebody else's testimony. Isn't that right? It begins in the confidence you have in someone else's testimony. But what is the validity that we see in the testimony that's given to us so that when we're crying out to this Lord, we can have confidence in him? And for you who are seeking and trying to figure out if this message is valid, this will help you as well. This is all the Gospels are based on a testimony of eyewitnesses. And the strength of a testimony comes from these five principles. Number one, that testimony attested to by multiple independent witnesses is usually considered stronger than the testimony of one witness, right? So he says, let every matter even be established by the testimony of at least two or three witnesses. And so if something really happened, you're going to believe it more if somebody besides one person said it, right? And so all of a sudden, what we have in the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus, are what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John testifying about Jesus' life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. Let's leave that up there, okay? Number two, the affirmation by a neutral or hostile source is usually considered stronger than affirmation from a friendly source, since bias in favor of the person or position is absent, right? And the good news about the gospel is, yes, it started with the eyewitnesses, but there were plenty of extra biblical sources talking about this Jesus of Nazareth as well. People who helped crucify him, people who helped put him to death and actually continued and uh, agreed to the persecution of the church that followed. 
You can look into the Roman historians and Roman scholars, and you'll see that to be the case. Number three, let's go to the uh, third slide. It says, people usually don't make up details regarding a story that would tend to weaken their position. Right? And I don't know about you, but to me, the disciples look bad. When it came to Jesus actually going to be crucified, what'd they do? They ran, they fled. In that particular culture, women weren't esteemed as women are today. And the first person, the first group of people that Jesus made his appearance to were women. So much so that they went back and told the men, and they were like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know Jesus was talking about being resurrected, but I don't know. Well, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Number four, eyewitness testimony is usually considered stronger than testimony heard from a second or third-hand source, right? I've been there. I saw it. I was with it. You can believe it. And number five, an early testimony from very close to the event in question is usually considered more reliable than one received years after the event. Most biblical and extra-biblical scholars will say today that literally the Gospel of John, one of the last Gospels, the Gospel, the biography of Jesus, was written in at least the year 90 A.D. within the lifetime of those who were also eyewitnesses of Jesus his life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection, so that you can believe that who you're coming to is actually valid and true. And so Christ's resurrection from the dead means that if he's actually resurrected from the dead, what you do today matters. If it's a fact and he's reporting about an event that actually occurred and that you will face him one day in judgment, what he's saying is that this fact means that what you're doing today matters before him. Just as he fulfilled his word that he would die, be crucified, and resurrected from the dead, so his word will be fulfilled too that will stand before him in judgment. That is the point of the cross, right? that there is a judgment coming for every man, woman, and child for the sins we've committed against a holy and a righteous God. And if it's true that by fact he was resurrected from the dead, it's also true that we'll stand before him and give an account for our lives. And the only thing that will save us from the wrong that we've committed against a holy and a righteous God is a sacrifice that he made for us that day on the cross. And the only thing that brings us into new life in him is his resurrection that was historically verified. Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that you are an immortal soul with eternal consequences to which you look forward. And despite our um, present trajectory or the world's, Jesus' resurrection gives us the hope of a better ending. He gives us the hope of a better ending. And he writes that left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy acquiescing in the general belief that the thing that things may be getting worse but there, there's nothing much we can do about them i love this and we are wrong our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between easter and the final day with our christian life both corporate and individual in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second what that means is that what you do because of the verified resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the fact that you're on a trajectory, a one-way, no-stop course to meet him one day face-to-face, 
whether as a friend or a foe, it means that you need to order your life and govern your life in such a way as you're ready to meet him. What does he do? He commissions us through the resurrection. It means that Jesus fills life with meaning again by commissioning us with the eternal purpose for which we were made because of his resurrection from the dead. One of my favorite songs when I was younger was the old song, Wanderer. Anybody remember that song? Or have you heard it? Oh, let me, let me, let me sing it for you, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm the type of guy who will never settle down. I'm over, round, around, from a town to town. And when I say, come on, you know it, right? <laughs> okay, because <laughs> I'm a wanderer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a wanderer. I go around and around and around and around and around, ba-na, da-na, da-na, right? And that's how a lot of people live today, right? I'm wandering without any type of purpose, without any type of sense of destination, without any type of accountability. But when Jesus calls us to himself, he says, I'm taking you out of that meaningless and I'm putting you into a place of eternal purpose in me by my death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Verse 36, he says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, I love this, peace to you. Peace to you. That's what Jesus is trying to give. He's trying to give peace to you. He's not coming in hostility. He's not coming, you know what I mean, to bring condemnation. He's coming to communicate that he saved you from the condemnation that you deserve, that I deserve. He says, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you had anything here to eat? <laughs> I like that. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said, These are my words that I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms has got to be fulfilled. I'm telling you, what gives context to your life is the word of God. He's telling you how it began, what's going on now, and how it's all going to end. Esteem the word of God. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that, on the tail end of that, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to not just those who already believe, but to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Okay, now... I'm not saying we read every word in Luke publicly, but we almost read all of them. 
Isn't that exciting? <laughs> that's, the, that's, the whole, that's the whole 24 chapters, baby. And so I'm like, listen, and I don't know about you, but that fills me with life and hope. Life, hope, meaning, and purpose. Life, hope, meaning, and purpose. That not only did Jesus do exactly what he said he would do, but then on the tail end of it, he said, now this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to give your life meaning. This is what's going to give your life purpose. This is what's going to determine or, lack, or determine your eternal reward or lack thereof. This commissioning that I'm giving you contextualized in the word of God. And I love it how Gary Habermas said, there is a virtual consensus among scholars who study Jesus' resurrection that subsequent to Jesus' death by crucifixion, his disciples really believed that he appeared to them risen from the dead. The conclusion has been reached by the data that suggests that, number one, the disciples themselves claimed that the risen Jesus had appeared to them, and that, number two, subsequent to Jesus' death by crucifixion, his disciples were radically transformed. Radically transformed from fearful, cowering individuals who denied and abandoned him at his arrest and execution into bold proclaimers of the gospel of the risen Lord. They remain steadfast in the face of imprisonment, torture, and martyrdom. It is very clear that they sincerely believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And my question on this Resurrection Sunday is, has it transformed this message, this testimony, transformed us in such a manner? Has it transformed us? Not just the people we read about, but has it marked my life in such a way? That because Jesus died, he bled, he was buried after his crucifixion, and he physically rose from the dead. He came back and spoke to his disciples, saying, put your hands in my side. Put them in my wrist. It's me. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just a good bedtime story. And you will, just as I physically rose from the dead, you will face me again. Has this transformed and does this contextualize all of your life today? Because I'm telling you, having been through things in life, 45 years old now, look at this. Been through just a little bit, okay? Not as much as some people, but some stuff, right? And I'm saying he's worth it. I'm saying he meets you there. I'm saying that God is not just an idea. He's not just a story. He's a living God who transforms people from the inside out and gives them strength to live every day in joy, in peace, in hope. And with purpose. If you've not experienced that yet, today is your day. Because Jesus is resurrected and alive. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. Christ paid for them on the cross. He died for you on that cross. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead so that not only he would live again, but you could have new life in him. And let me tell you, for those of you who say, yeah, I get you. I get you. I get you. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> okay? But what do I do with that day by day? Let me give you one last thought, and then we're going to end. N.T. Wright. Okay, you ready? I love him. He said, the point of the resurrection, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless 
just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. That is how you build God's kingdom, with everything you are, with everything in you, with everything entrusted to you. Being a sacrifice of praise to him and an offering of worship to him because he's worth it. He historically lived sinlessly, died sacrificially, and rose victoriously from the dead, and then says, I'm ready to pour out my Holy Spirit and empower anyone who would come to me, not only for forgiveness of sins, but to be empowered and commissioned to do everything I said to do. In my name, amen. Resurrection Sunday! Yes! So if we could have the worship team come up, and I'm going to ask everybody, we have our communion cups here on the right and the left. If you've not gotten a communion cup yet, please come and get one. Again, when we celebrate the sacrament of communion, we're celebrating the life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is a believer's sacrament. So if you've not yet professed your faith in the Lord, if you've not yet given your life to the Lord, refrain, but even better, if you want to put your hope in what Jesus Christ has done for you, this is your moment to repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news for the forgiveness of your sins and life forevermore. Amen.